A December to remember. This one? Yeah. What makes and everyone that? before and after this. What did you do last December? You don't know. It was a December to remember. I do know. I feel like I get sick every December. Hmm. And February, March. Yeah, I get sick a lot, Liz. I get sick a lot. Let's talk about it. Let's put it on the table. I get sick a lot. I know. Should I die, do you think? No, it just makes me worried for you. Worried that what's going to happen, that I'll live? No, that you're like not taking care of yourself and you keep getting sick. I need greater control over the podcast and your personal lives because to me like sometimes what greater makes me control greater control because some t- to me sometimes what makes me sick is stress and it's stressful having to worry about mm. people like arguing with me and so that seems like actually what you need to do is let go and have less control so you don't mm. feel so stressed out i need to be able to let go but in order to do that you do you let's say you have an 8 year old son right uh-huh well Okay, say, all right, yeah, well, yeah, me. Say that I'm your eight-year-old son. Actually, you probably would have killed me by now, but say that somehow I evaded your clutches. Your clutches. Uh, And I don't mean her handbag she swings at me because she does that. Uh, Would you be like, hey, you're eight, time to go? No, you'd wait till he was 30, 40, something like that. What are you talking about? I'm saying that I need... (laughs) Bruce, I just—I think you should take the vitamins I gave you. I did. I did take the vitamins. You, oh, good. You gave me, and then I stopped. And now you're sick. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sick, but I've been a little sick. I've been so sleepy all week. That's part of being sick. I know, but I haven't felt, I've been describing this to you every day. I haven't felt sick. I've just been so tired, I like can't get up. Something wrong with me. I think you might be sick. I think I'm sick. Maybe I'm depressed. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe. I don't know. Though. Well, that is a form of sickness. That's facts, though. <laughs> Hello, That's... everyone. Hello. My name is Brains. I'm Liz. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky right over there. Hello. And this is Tron on. Hello. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. I wish you'd give me a hello like that. That's that scared, too. Hello. Okay, that's too scared. That scared me. Yeah, that scared me too. Um, hello. I'm not sick. I'll, I'll give you a cough just for once. <coughs> you like that one? <coughs> no, I don't like no. that. That'd be so weird if that's how you coughed. I will say this. We're going to do a free ad right now. We're going to do a free ad right now. Because what do you mean I'm, a free ad? A free ad. We're not charging the people we're advertising for for the ad. Okay. And they don't even know we're doing it. That must motherfucking mustard bath oh, that you many moons ago to me. That you know what? A lot I love that prescribed, but a lot of people have come up and been like, Thank you so much for that recommendation. The doctor sing a mustard bath. Yeah, sing ha. Sing ha. Let I me take know. this and he's uh, That's I, a classic. I two nights in a row went into a scalding hot bath filled <gasps> with Dr. Singha's. Really? Yes. You did it? I did it. I always do it. I've, That's I, This is my second thing I've gone through of it. Oh did you get the big one? I don't know. What's big? You know? It's like the tall one. There's like short no, one and I, tall one. No, because I have to fit in the little shelf by my okay. thing. So no, I don't. Pretty price per unit is Neither of them are pretty big better. for me. Okay. But um, I, I put it in there. And I got really hot and sweaty for about sure. 20 minutes. That's right. Didn't help that I was, of course. 20 minutes is good. Wow, you were pro. 20 minutes. Yeah. I did 20 minutes. Okay. And then I and then you uh, took a, shower took a cold shower. Well, you know what? Honestly, I took a kind of regular warm, like not warm, but. 
Did you wait for neutral. the bath to to go all the way down, or did you? I did. Or I did, did you like? Because sometimes down. I like I'm too cold and like I'm like both too hot and too cold, and so I like preempt the full draining. Yeah, yeah. But then I'm like waiting in water, which and is it's, weird. Yeah, it's weird, and the water's kind of yellow because the it's not because of pee, ladies and gentlemen, because of the mustard, mustard. bath. Yeah. And then powder. I washed it off, and then I went right into bed. I didn't yeah. fall asleep for you go like right four in your cozies, hours, but I did go right into bed. And I'll tell you, two nights in a row, and I feel okay. Yeah, it's great. I feel okay. Did you sweat? I sweat. Yeah. I sweat. I sweat. Sweat <laughs> like a motherfucker. A yeah, crazy, that's good. I gotta stop saying motherfucker. I, su- I sweat like a. I sweat like a little man. Yeah, is what I did. And you got good sleep. No. I did get good sleep last night, though. I haven't got good sleep in, like, two weeks. But I've I meant been, from the mustard bath. From the mu- – mm, I, I wake Just up – humor me. Okay, for fine. The, for but the listeners. T- truthfully, I wake up at 6 a.m. in full sheer terror every day. Oh, my God. And no matter what time I go to sleep, which is usually yeah, – I fall asleep at 3 after lying in bed reading for hours. Yeah, that's our next project. Neither here nor there. What are we talking about today? We're talking about a beautiful dead woman. And no <laughs> – we should do what now. We've got our this is our true crime, true crime episode. Wait, wait, wait. We didn't do the true crime thing. Liz, the true crime podcast, the number one podcast on Patreon is riven with drama. It's riven with drama. I've tried to figure it out multiple times. What's it called? True crime obsessed? Yeah. Yes. Where they go like, wow. TCO. We fuck. TCO. Did you just call it by its abbreviation? The number one podcast. I. That can't be true. Which, by the way, they are our – that's Bizarro Liz Embrace. It can't be – they are – that can't be – it has to be like – what's that dude, Uh, the comedian guy who got – like Tim Dillon or Shane Gillis or something is the highest. There's no way it's them. Um, I think – I mean for a long time they were the number one. The number one. True crime obsessed. Yeah, and they have their own little festivals where they – And they have a network. The Obsessed Network. Obsessed Network of all true crime shows? I don't know. I don't know. There were like allegations that I don't understand. There were acronyms being thrown around I've never heard of. And a lot of very concerned um, members of the cover. Sorry. Hold the fuck up. They cover true crime shows? Yeah. It's a little unclear to me. I don't understand. I think it was, it's like a both and. Because this says. Because there's only so many crimes. Episode by episode coverage. There's never enough crimes. Episode by episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, The Jinx, Make It a Murder, and Lorena. No, I think so. They cover the true. So they're obsessed with true crime, the like, the shows. Uh-huh. But then also the stories underneath the shows. Hmm. Wait. There's no way these guys have. But anyways, they. I think they've definitely. Yeah, there's some happened. like knives in the back. People are scrambling. Profiles have been deleted. Accounts have been silenced. Still, I cannot make heads or tails of it. But I do know that these are. Um, this is Bizarro Liz and Brace. And they were the inspiration for when we did the photo shoot as true crime people. <laughs> oh, these are. The Reddit is not. I mean, our our Reddit is a damn disgrace. But this one is crazier this is all, all yeah sad i think some people from what i remember some people were alleging that they like didn't like the way they covered cr- true crime too like I'm they were sorry. like you're like a little too into it and i'm like well isn't that everyone involved in all I'm of sorry. this it's everyone involved in all of this like glass houses glass, you're listening to it yeah you're listening to a show called true crime obsessed by two people going waking the soy face yeah and I'm, we're the bizarro version of them. We're making what face do we make? The I don't know. What's opposite of soy? Red meat. 
No, red meat that's is that's like ob- a constipated face. <laughs> red meat face doesn't sound right. Like, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. fuck. Anyways, we're doing a cool. That's <laughs> this. We're doing a true crime obsessed this episode. Yeah, uh, we're talking about a beautiful, beautiful dead woman. Yeah, who's murdered? Who's murdered? And people are like, "Damn, she's hot," she, even though she's dead. Fire. That's actually something that people say in this very she's case hot, that we talk even about. She's dead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. People who saw the dead body. Yeah. I They're was, like, "Damn, that's a pretty woman." I'm like, it's okay to think a dead person's hot. Not. Yeah, but if you're the police officer showing up at the crime scene, I'm saying it's okay to think someone from a long time ago is hot. Yeah, of course. And like or a person, they're ghosts. Maybe you're a ghost person. That's true. Well, ghosts, if they think you're... The scary movie 2 tackled this. I never saw that. There's, they have, there's a ghost that has sex. I feel like parody movies really fell off. Mm. Yeah. They it's a genre. Suck. They're always bad. Yeah, it's just never good. It's never a gimmick. Good, but you, yeah. And that gimmick's going to run out real quick. I, you don't need it with and social I got to say another thing. Okay, hit me with it. I don't think that that was a substantial enough cultural moment to warrant Haley Bieber's Halloween costume choice. What was her Halloween costume choice? The, the from the movie Scary Movie, mm-hmm. where Denise Richards is like top is like in a wet T-shirt or whatever. Oh. On, but it's like on the cover of the poster, so it's like even more like what are you doing? You get everyone. All these Instagram girls oh, are I running out that. of movies to like redo yeah. the photo shoot of. Yeah, I know your your hatred of Instagram girls Halloween. <laughs> no, because I'm just like it's not a costume. Like you're doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, you're just you're doing. You're larping. You're everything is larp, up. and I understand everything either. is larp it's now. Just a dress up. It's a no, sketch. No, it's role playing. Mm-hmm. Everyone but, is just doing like you're trying to. You're doing cosplay. Like it's cosplay versus being in a costume of something. Yeah. And every everything is cosplay now. I understand. Which believe me, that's true in an episode. But I'm sick of it. Just be a pumpkin. Or like cosplay. Be an idea. Be something that isn't like I'm this actual thing from this other thing, and I look exactly I, like. I know. It. I know what you're saying. Well, I'm. You're talking to someone who goes as both either Austin Powers or Dracula every year, mm. and when is both of those are ideas though, and year? they are your interpretation of they it. They are my interpretation of this. I will say this: free Halloween costume for basically anybody, hopefully everybody for next year. So what's scarier than an adult? An adult baby. Yeah, so absolutely. All you need to do I was for right that there. I was about to say it. A full free costume idea. Yeah. Light blue t-shirt, little shorter sleeves to show you that you're like, wh- mm. what are those called when they're like short sleeves but shorter? Yeah. Short. Shorts. Cap short sleeves. Ass- cap sleeves. Cap sleeves. Yeah. Blue or onesie or whatever. Mm. And then bam, diaper. Yeah, diaper. up. I did this. And then hit with a binky. You did this? I was an adult baby. Uh, oh, I called it man child. I wore like no, but a for Halloween, not for like the whole year. <laughs> yeah, for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. You went when you when did you do this? I bought this was when I lived in Philly. I bought a Transformers like onesie from the children's, and it was very small on me. So, but I you just never brought it. this up. There's pictures of it, but you never brought this up know. in the probably ten thousand times we talk about adult babies on this. Uh, you just were like, I was saving this. it, saving it for what? For now. I'd like to see this. You know what I said? Uh, this is sort of adjacent or orthogonal, as people like to say, uh, to the adult baby, which is my idea for the Halloween costume that I still stand by. And I said this before, but I'll say it again: is the mayor, mm. the cla- the mayor. And you, you just get a you wear a tuxedo, get a top hat, and you wear a sash that says the mayor. I'll tell you what I did about eight years ago in the basement of Vacation, San Francisco, for New Year's Eve. So I'd make a little money and sell alcohol. At this basement show, I set up Brace Belden's uh, New Year's Baby Brace Belden's 
uh, liquor playpen. And Ugh. I sold your fucking Wonder Emporium. It was a liquor playpen, and I sold liquor, and I made a ton of money. I don't drink anymore, and so it's it's. I, it was pure profit. It wasn't like one of those people. Who was it like, was liquor that you just had at home, and no, you're like, I, I got to liquidate. I bought the liquor from the Bevmo on oh. Van Ness, and I sold it, and I made a bunch of money. But you just sold it for what? Half, twice is what you made? So much money, yeah. Because captive audience, you're in a basement. So people will be like, I will pay $30 for that beer. N- no, but that is when I was KJ, when I did when I did KJ, Sex Night 2 is what mm-hmm. I called the K, like KJ night. Yeah. Uh, I did, it's a completely free market. And this is, I'm telling you this, if you right now, if you need to hustle and make some money, become a karaoke jockey because you, people will pay any amount of money to go next. Yeah, it's so true. And if you just let people cut the line, if they pay you more money, yeah. you are, you can get into a situation where you make a hundred bucks in 10 minutes. Yeah. It's, you're leaving That's money That's such on the a table. good idea. I believe me. I want to do another karaoke night here. I, cause just I, to scam side a hustle. Because <laughs> it's people, I just, people side go crazy. Hustle? I want to do a side hustle for karaoke. charity. Okay, I'll do it for charity. Yeah, side yeah, yeah, yeah. hustle, for, KJ for side char- hustle for charity. I'll do whatever. hundred bucks, cut the line, and it goes to? I don't know, the uh, Filipinos, I guess. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, that's, that's my money, too. Uh, there, Yeah, yes, yeah, it goes to the Filipinos. See? Uh, and I, yeah, yes, I'll do that, I'll do that. Uh, but I got to call it Sex Night 2 again. Or Sex Night 3. Sex, actually, it would be Sex Night 3. Yeah. Sex, sex Night we got a podcast. We do. And you know what? It's coming up right now. Wait, no, no, no. No, before that. Sorry. We're so just excited to talk to each other because we have been working on other stuff for this, the reason there hasn't been podcast episodes because mm. we've been working on a different thing. Yeah. Which you will which, see. Well, it's none of their business. It's none of your, but it will be their business. But not yet. And that's what we're saying. It's not your business yet, but when it's your business. It needs to be your fucking business. It needs to be your motherfucking business. And not business. just your business, but your friends, family, coworkers, and I'm going to say it, your enemies. Your enemies, because we we have a product that is going to change the world. It's going to change it's the world. It's going to change the world. It's going to bring a smile. It's going to heal America. And it might, you know, it's going to start conversation. It might save your relationship. We're here to start a conversation. Yeah, F- facts. And right now we're going to have that with Devin O'Shea. Actually, Liz, Wait, I need you. you to, I need you. To, I, I can need, see you I like need, getting I'm, into I'm, character yes, I here. Am, I am. I am. But Liz, actually, I need you for this a little <laughs> oh, bit. Oh, great! Can you can you oh, imitate boy. the sounds of a woman taking her afternoon constitutional? But I feel like I do that in silence. I, well, could you could you possibly? You know how? Okay, like, so like kind of like overact it. Overact it. Yeah. 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 Okay, because I don't like you know I'm a subtle. My method is very subtle. <laughs> Hey, lady! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Well, ladies are gone now. Ladies are unfortunately gone. Welcome, gentlemen. Come stand with me around the body of a dead woman as photographed... Fuck, let's try it again. That was horrible. That was horrible. No, we're going to keep on let's going. Just, I, it's bad. It's bad. I was trying to get out there. There is a famous photograph of the body of Mary Myers on the ground with a bunch of people kind of looking yeah. down at her. And I was going to say, please join us for that. And then I was like, I feel weird about that. It but is a I, little morbid, but true crime is morbid in a way that people 
are aroused by. But wait, what is that you hear? Is there a second shooter? No, <laughs> there is a second guy. Uh, his name is <laughs> Devin Thomas O'Shea, an ethnic guest, as you can hear. Been on the show several times from St. Louis. Uh, journalist published in The Nation, Slate, Jacobin, Chicago Quarterly Review, and elsewhere. I don't give a shit. You're with on now. Devin, welcome to the show. Hell yeah. Thank you for having me again. We're so happy to have you on. Now, you're here to talk about this new piece that you've written. And I'm not, I don't want to even spoil anything yet, although I'm sure we will in the intro that we haven't recorded yet But after we do this interview. Yes. But I just want to say right, right off the bat, which I already said before we started recording, to you privately and to Bruce privately before that, that I enjoyed this piece so much. I cannot wait for our listeners to read it. They got to click on the link in the description. Read this piece before you listen to the interview, maybe even. It's gonna, you're going to get so engrossed. It's, such, it's so well-written and totally enthralling, and I was just completely absorbed in it. You had me hook, line, and sinker. Uh, maybe I am a true crime gal because I couldn't mm. get enough. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a story with a whole lot of facts in it, and there's a lot <laughs> to get to, but uh, I'm glad to be part of the sort of uh, the feminist episode of the JFK series because it's about <laughs> it's true, because here's the thing. This is kind of JFK for girls. It's kind of. It's mm-hmm. kind of JFK for girls. <laughs> it's, J- it's JFK for with a girl. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a girl like, in JFK, too. But this is more of a girl. Yeah, not the wife. This is more of a, like, yeah, um, female lead of, female JF- lead. of JFK style stuff. Um, what are we talking about today, Deb? Uh, we are talking about a mysteriously dead mistress of JFK. So I think a little more interesting even than Jacqueline. And I, up front, will say I'm not much of, like, a... CIA or JFK guy, but Mary Pinchot's story is uh, extremely interesting just in its own right, I think. And you guys, had you heard of this before? I hadn't, actually. I had? Yeah. I, 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 I knew a little bit about this case. Um, I, I, it's always been sort of in the background of a lot of JFK stuff. But JFK was famous for betting a lot of women. And I want to get something out of the way right oh, yeah. now. JFK was ugly. <laughs> and I know that you're like thinking in your little ass, Lena Del Rey ass mindset, like, oh, no, he was so handsome. The I love <laughs> I love a Boston man. I'm telling you, look at a high definition. Like is she a big chair? I mean. I don't know. I feel like it's more Elvis. But Elvis is JFK. Wow. Look at look at look at Fat Net. Look at a high definition photograph of JFK's face and tell me that that man could not use maybe a little bit of lotion. Yeah, the alcoholism Mm -hmm. was right on display. It's yeah. Yeah, the bloating, the pockmarks, the Sweat, the sweatiness, always very sweaty. Well, and just the weak sperm from his anti-Semitic father. I mean, it's just his, <laughs> the, the guy, it's, I understand that photographs back then made everyone look fuzzy and thus kind of good looking, but mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, look at a high definition photograph. On the contrary, Mary Pinchot was a smoking hot lady. And I got to tell you, I mean, it is always, that is, that is one of the things that, 
going to be honest, first attracted me to this because she, her, her. Well, yeah. I, I <laughs> so mean, you're kind of a true crime, crime, crime true crime, crime guy too. Uh, no, I'm not because I know what you're implying there, which is that I'm horny about a dead woman, which is <laughs> kind of how I think of true. Uh, what were you thinking? Oh my, that was what I was thinking. Okay, but you did I, kind of say that. I'm not horny for her. I'm just acknowledging that she's beautiful. I okay, be but that's right. why I said you were kind of. It's like a shade of it. <sighs> A soft shade that's appropriate and not problematic. No, it's not. But she was a beautiful blonde. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Uh, on the Georgetown, which means CIA government scene, and a mistress of one uh, JFK, and mm. was killed the day before my birthday, but many years before, on October 12th, 1963, which is almost a year after JFK himself... Was also was shot also on shot. a you know in a grassy area. Yes. Um, so, Devin, what happened? How did she get killed? What's going on? What's the the t- tell us about the murder on the town path? Yeah. So this will be the uh, definitely the true crime part, and then we get to get to the swinging sixties part. Um, <laughs> but this towpath uh, is sort of along a canal that runs along the Potomac, right? And so to get to it from your Georgetown apartment, you're walking downhill. Um, The last person to see Mary Meyer alive that day is Polly Windsor, uh, who is also a CIA wife, just like Mary Pinchot. Um, They're part of this Georgetown CIA wives uh, extended universe. And um, I used a bunch of different uh, sources for this, but like Nina Burley's book is very good about this and she notes that like Windsor all like said goodbye, Mary, and that was like the last thing anyone said to her. And it's like, mm. well, it's got so much import to it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Polly Polly Wisner was was Frank Wisner's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Wisner was a big time bigwig at the CIA. Who kind of cracked up later on. Yeah. He very much cracked up later on. I think he got logoria. Uh, I can't right. remember if that was now. Him. I'm going to say it. Something you really don't hear much about these days. <laughs> but he, he went he went nuts a few years later. He gets like he goes gets totally manic depressive. And I think I can't remember if he blows his brains out, but he kills himself. I think it's sixty five. Yeah, he does uh I think a shotgun to the head for him. Classic. Um, Cobain style. Cobain style. Uh very popular amongst these this set of CIA guys that we're talking about who are all sort of part of the beginning of the CIA. Um, so to get to some need to know stuff, Mary is walking with walking gloves. She doesn't have a purse. Uh, she does this towpath walk every single day around noon after she gets done painting, um, in a painting studio and she's going down the towpath. We know that a jogger passes her, uh, and that guy later comes up, but, she goes a little bit further, and then there is a uh, mechanic from an Esso station who is servicing a Nash Rambler up on Canal Street. So just to get like the lay of the land here, the canal mm. path is low, and the Canal Street is high, and there's like a little retaining wall along Canal Street. So Henry Wiggins s- says that he gets out of the truck to fix the Nash Rambler, and immediately hears a gunshot. He goes over to the retaining wall, looks down, and he sees um, a black man wearing a light jacket, dark slacks, 
a dark cap, and he's standing over the body of a white woman. So it's a pretty bad scene. There's two shots mm. during that also. Um, so the cops arrive. This area has never seen a crime except for like 10 years previous when there was like a mugging. Um, mm-hmm. So, but the, uh, the area around the canal, canal path is also like a known spot for people to come fish or for drunks to hang out or like sometimes homeless or people both. are sleeping in the brush. Yeah, yeah, it's it a classic riverbank situation. You yeah. chill, you know, you chill there, have a couple of beers. Certainly know. not what you're going to see in DC anymore. No, no, they made that illegal. No, I also note that like I don't, I don't know a ton about DC ge- geography, but we're talking about Georgetown, which is like west of the White <laughs> House and is a very affluent area around Georgetown yes. University. Um, yeah, yeah, it's and especially at the time, it was like kind of the. I guess you could say like very bohemian for DC, and by that I mean like mm. it was uh, everyone just cheated on each other. Yeah, because that's kind of what people mean when they say bohemian a lot. Well, it was like <laughs> upper middle class, like like doing drugs. Yeah, and people are, people got some like money there. Being horny. Yeah, and like a lot of they were mm. bored and rich, and their husbands worked in the CIA. Exactly, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who worked at uh, in various government agencies lived around there, and there's sort of like a scene. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. Very much a scene, and that 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 played a big part in JFK's presidency too. Like all the sort of like groups of Georgetown friends that he had, uh, uh, of which of which Mary Meyer was certainly a part. Oh yeah. So also the cops are not far away from this area, so they show mm-hmm. up almost immediately, and the DC police are there. And of course, we also have to remember our DC history, which is that uh the district of columbia doesn't have home rule and so congress is in charge of the police right mm-hmm. right um this area is patrolled but the cops show up and uh they get this statement from wiggins and then they start searching around this is like a hard to escape area uh if you were going to do something like murder somebody and try to run away um and they pull out around 1.15 p.m. They pull, uh, they find Ray Crump Jr. walking along the towpath. And he is like soaking wet. And he's got like a little wound in his hand. Um, and he says that he was there fishing and that he fell in the river. And as you do. And his fly was down. And when asked about this uh, to the officer, he says, you did that. As in when I was being arrested, you pulled my fly down. So hmm. a okay. lot of strange, this whole thing is full of like a lot of strange information, almost as if like there's a, I don't know, an amount of strange information being placed all around it to make it hard to tell what happened. Well, the the thing too about the fishing alibi is that there was no fishing pole actually found and police, when they later searched Crump's house, they found his fishing pole there. So we know for a right. fact that he was not fishing. He was not fishing. That is for sure. I think the other thing that we will get to uh, is that there's no gun found either. And that mm-hmm. this is also uh, the 19, early 1960s D.C., and this is a uh, black man who has been in trouble with the police before who is now talking to a cop and explaining himself and they. It's not if he's uh, not guilty of it, then he's explaining to a cop like, "Leave me alone." You know, 
I'm going fishing or I was just in an accident and doesn't really even know that there's like a dead white lady very close by and an Mm. important one actually. So the AP photographer who's on the scene, as Brace mentioned, there's like this famous photograph of Mary. She's, it's a very bloody scene. Uh, Her like walking gloves are soaked in blood. Um, And that Peter Janney, another uh, biographer of this case points out, you know, very explicitly that this, that the coroner says that this was like a point blank gunshot wound and that like Mary's eyes swelled up afterwards. And it, Janie is like, this looks exactly like a hit, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, point blank is kind of crazy. We were talking about that before we started recording, like yeah. straight to the eye and then the heart, like, yeah, you gotta be really yeah. not scared, like no flinching. It's, you know, you, Right in the face. Yeah, it really it takes a lot to to do something like that. I mean, just even to to gather up. I don't want to say the strength, but like to go up to somebody and then just you know shoot them twice immediately. It definitely. I mean, I, I think that's one thing that everybody can kind of agree on. Even if you think that that Ray Crump one hundred percent did it, is it like it has the appearance at least of a hit of mm-hmm. like a of a of a classic just like assassination basically. Yeah, and I think. As you pointed out too, Brace, before we started talking, I'm also of the opinion that like this could be an open and shut thing of just like Mary was in the wrong place at the wrong time in front of a guy who is unimaginably desperate, right? Crump up until this point has um, you know gotten in trouble for petty larceny. He's got domestic abuse issues. He's definitely a drunk, and um, some of the people that he's worked with. And on construction sites say, you know, that guy doesn't seem like he's all there. And that kind of refers back to um, a point where Crump earlier in his life is mugged and gets like bludgeoned in the head. So he's also sustained head trauma and is like subject to blackouts. It's, it's very... I mean, um, yeah. We're dealing with here from everything I know about Crump with a classic kind of Lenny situation. A, right, sort of a a simple guy, who I mean, that's that's I've I've on everything that I've consumed about uh, this case before. It is always like there's always a a fine point made that like Ray Crump was like was simple, like he mm-hmm. was not he was not a exactly, little touched, a little touched, yeah, or even I would say medium touched. Um, but yeah, right. he was not. We're not talking about like a master a master criminal here or somebody who is. Um, Really, like, yeah, it's it's somebody somebody who basically is is just is troubled in more than one way. Yeah, and I think that's very apparent once we get to the trial of uh, the DC Black community's view of this case, and like um, that Crump is seems like uh, he's in over his head, like to to say the least. But there is like a weird sort of parallel thing maybe we'll get into more that's just about like this is in the heart of CIA land. So whether or not Crump is guilty or not, like, and we'll talk about this too, Mary Myers definitely followed by lots of different intelligence agencies during different periods of her life. So, you know, where was her tail at this point? Did did the tail just watch her run into Ray Crump and this just happened suddenly? Who knows, you know? Well, let's maybe talk about some of that actually right now and just say, like, maybe we can talk just a little bit about who Mary is before we get into the trial of of Ray. Sure. I mean, one of the things that, 
you begin the piece by talking about this sort of like artifact that kind of is like this um, very mysterious, uh, very highly sought after prized possession, which is Mary's diary. And that letters and pages of this thing have long been rumored to have been kind of passed around and maybe got burned or maybe not got burned, maybe got destroyed, maybe didn't get destroyed, and that everyone's kind of after this thing, including, like, right after her murder, which is a little confusing. Yeah, I mean, the first I encountered of this case is I read a book about the CIA very, like, I think when I was, like, 18 or something, and there was uh, in sort of a section about Angleton um, talking about how he – which we'll get to in a second, but how he, like, one of his big things was, like, he was so paranoid, he, like, went and immediately stole her diary and put it in his safe for the rest of his life. But the story is a little more complicated than that. Yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, it's like uh, the murder happens, and then Ben Bradley, the Washington Post editor, gets a phone call. Some say it's Ann Truitt who's calling him, who's a friend of Mary Myers and his... uh, But then Peter Janney says that it's actually his CIA dad who's calling him. Anyway, somebody calls him and says, in case of an emergency, Mary wanted her friends to recover the diary. And so Ben Bradley, who's her um, brother-in-law, and his wife uh, go to Mary's house that night. And they happen upon James Jesus Angleton with a lockpicking kit and his wife, too. Plus Cord Myers (laughs) there, also another CIA guy. It's crazy to bring your wife along to a lockpicking event well, when you're just when you're had the lockpicks, you know. It's kind of crazy though. It's like, hey, right. hey, babe, we got to go do this tonight. Well, you got to remember too that these people are all like in the same social circle yes. too. So it's like it's not like he's bringing his wife randomly along to like, hey, we're gonna check out this like East German fucking yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. person shit. It's like we're you know we're we're I'm taking my wife to this dead woman we know's house. Um, but yeah, right. that is always there's a a lot of confusion about that because there is there it's also been said that Ben Bradley was the one that alerted Angleton to the the right. existence of the diary and that he might have given him the diary himself. Yeah, there's like <laughs> whatever happened at that at the garage that night seems almost incomprehensible now compared to like there's just a million different stories but one of them is that Ben Bradley shows up, doesn't like that James Jesus Angleton is there, and disputes Mm -hmm. with him over who's going to take the diary. Angleton ends up with it, and he says he's going to burn it. But as Brace says, he held on to it for like a decade at least after that. Um, What what are your takes on the James Jesus Angleton psychology? Because this is the first I've encountered of him not being a super JFK head. Uh, Angleton is, I think, one of the world's all-time... Gr- they don't make him like that anymore. He was crazy. He's one of the greatest paranoiacs known to me. Yeah. Um, right. He was sort of driven insane by the... Well, there's a couple different stories of how this this can go, but like, he was a little bit driven insane by the Philby revelations, Um and was eventually. Can you explain that real just for a Kim Philby, the Cambridge Five, um, were were a group of uh, upper class uh, British guys who were recruited by Soviet intelligence as ideological agents, mm-hmm. um, and 
who uh, many of them had like high ranking roles in British government and um, and British intelligence agencies. Kim Philby was the most successful, and I I got to tell you, I was actually talking about him the other day with a friend. One of my heroes, because he just he was just like totally unrepentant, like yeah. married a fascist woman, <laughs> stuck to his guns, stuck to Literally. his guns, yeah, yeah, <laughs> betrayed all of these fucking pigs, like who was working deep, 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 deep undercover, but unlike a lot of these people, didn't get lost in it. And like he mm. did, oh, he kind of got lost mm. a little bit, but he got, you know, eventually the jig was up for these guys uh, and he made it to Moscow and uh, lived out the rest of his life, um, you know, as a high ranking Soviet intelligence agent, <laughs> but really retired. Um, but these nice. revelations were pretty extraordinary for a lot of people, especially yeah. in American, well, in both British and American intelligence. It really destroyed a lot of uh I mean, British intelligence sucks. Like, MI, MI6, MI5 were really bad. Um, like, just not as nearly as competent at their jobs as the Americans were. Um, but it, it, a guy like Engleton, who is already sort of this, like, ascetic kind of, like, uh, paranoiac personality, um, events like this helped drive him into basically just, like, a mole-hunting fervor. Mm. Uh, and mm. so he was sort of had the perfect psychology to be exploited by uh, by the KGB in this time because he was such a paranoid to begin with mm-hmm. that he eventually just started really just, like, going on these, uh, not purges necessarily, but, like, these these really extensive, sometimes expensive, internal spy hunts at the CIA. Yeah. Um, that plus, involved yeah. a lot of theater, Yes. Like, yeah. really, like, th- like he was, when you say lost in the sauce, I mean, it was like he was kind of, like, tumbling through the looking glass over and over again. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so like, there's, a, there's a great book called Wilderness of Mirrors about yeah. Hamilton, uh, too, that oh, I, nice. I suggest anyone who is... Um, Which is the perfect kind of... Yes. Yeah. Term it really, to describe it really his crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is he is he is really emblematic of a lot of the like super Cold War paranoia hysteria. Um, and he just yeah, like a, a, a spy kind of till the end. I mean, his this woman he knows to knows is shot, and then he goes immediately to her house with lock picking tools to take her diary and put it in the safe. Yeah, you know, because he doesn't know right. when that information will come in handy. So you're saying you would not want him to be like the godfather of your children. <laughs> I would say if I – he looks like the Grim Reaper. Like he doesn't yeah. look like – or he's like he a does, very yeah. – who's that motherfucker? <laughs> Cormac McCarthy. He looks like a Cormac McCarthy character or something. Yeah, Slenderman. You know I mean? Sl- he's the Slenderman. Yeah. yeah. He's the Slenderman. Um, I, I would not have him be godfather of my children because I'm afraid that he would make a potion out of them. Yeah. I also think he would somehow like <laughs> – like godfather he would take to be this other kind of like horror figure that he could yes, like yeah. assume of like a, a the new type of villain the godfather yeah 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 but, but yeah. not like the movie they, which I, hadn't been made yet no no true but he also a little a little kind of slight for that role that's true yeah he's a he's a weird wiry guy um and he also bragged to everybody that as soon as cord meyer and mary meyer got divorced he's like oh i'm I'm definitely gonna tap her phones, and I'm definitely bugging her bedroom. Yeah, like he said that to lots of different people. Um, and you mentioned that she had been followed for quite some time, and that she herself oh, yeah. had, you know, was afraid of her, the kind of surveillance that she was feeling. She was feeling her own paranoia about it. So this was a big presence. Yeah, there's like she. There's a couple instances of like getting home, and there's somebody in the house, or like 
you wake up and go downstairs and oh the basement door is wide open and like mm. just some she said to her, one of her friends i don't know what they're looking for and so they were looking for this diary which is like a great macguffin um <laughs> that ever since has driven everyone insane because like uh <laughs> the counterculture picks this up later and is like oh Every secret of the peace negotiations that were really happening is in that diary, or the truth about the aliens is in the diary, or it's a diary full of like the most embarrassing secrets in DC history, or something like that. I yeah, it's I, it's it, we can't stress enough how much of a yeah you're really right in, in, in calling it a MacGuffin, a MacGuffin that uh, her diary was, because it is this like thing that is like could everyone that's like this could solve the case you right know what i mean right. like it's just in a very and not sim- just this case like all cases all cases yeah it's I like mean, the QAnon. Right. like it'll have everything in it bible it, it has it very much serves the same function in a lot of ways as like looking for like a specific cia document that's like we're going to kill jfk mm-hmm. like it, it is right. it is a it is like very much like the this if if this is found like and there's a certain there's there is a, a a part of this diary is the reason why she was killed, um, which I'm a little ambivalent about because we don't know what's in there. I mean, we, there's been there's been a lot of yeah. talk about what could be in there, uh, what might be in there, but we don't know exactly what is in there. Um, I, I do. I will say, like my gut instinct is, I'm sure there is a lot of very embarrassing stuff yeah. for the Georgetown set in there, which includes everybody from the president or former president, but probably LBJ too, uh, and to various CIA figures. I mean, yeah. this is a tight knit and um, very <sighs> horny community, and and these sort of secrets mm-hmm. that could be in this thing could be very damaging for a lot of people. Yeah, I I think that's extremely uh, true, and that that is why I think Angleton was so keen to like, oh, blackmail. It's a big book of blackmail, you know. That and the other weird thing now is that like people say that they have versions of the diary that get passed around, and then somebody said it got burned again, like in the seventies sometime. Anyway, it's a whole rabbit hole. So let's get back to R. Crump, which is that's it's a little weird to say it that way, but um, because he has, you know, they put him on trial for the murder of Mary, but things kind of go a little bit awry for the prosecutors. Yeah, the the trial is really hard to understand, also, um, and I think part of that is due to the fact that this is still Washington D.C. in the early '60s, and um, the crime that we've just described uh, sounds like it was written by a Klansman, right? Mm-hmm. It is like a berserk black man assaults a well-beloved white woman on a towpath. Even some of the detectives are like, oh, my God, she's so pretty when she's dead. And that's weird. Like, Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be saying that. Women are so much <laughs> yeah. harder alive. No contest, bro. <laughs> no contest. It's no contest. The trial itself is is it goes differently than you might think from that description too, right? Because like there is this sort of I mean DC as as anybody who's basically alive right now can tell you like there's always been a like a a, a this sort of like racial 
tension in DC where it's like there's a huge black underclass in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then mm-hmm. a lot of very wealthy, very powerful white people. And this case basically mm. saw those two worlds clash. I mean, yeah. Ray Crump was basically a, 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 he was a construction worker who was like kind of, I would say, I don't know, marginally employed is the right word, but like, you know, he wasn't exactly like working a nine to five every day. You know, he was basically like a day laborer. Um, yeah. You know, he's poor, he's simple, he's a drunk. Uh, and any description of this, you'd be like, okay, this guy is, is fucking through. And he's assigned a lawyer. And then I believe someone from his family gets this woman, Dovey Roundtree, to represent mm-hmm. him. And she does a fucking, no pun intended, a killer job. Yeah. Dovey Roundtree is a true legend. And, like, um, it, from what I understand, one of the first civil rights attorneys and just is able to, like, especially in D.C., but is able to read the zeitgeist of just, like, two-thirds of the jury is going to be black the stands during the trial are going to be full of Ray Crump Jr.'s mother's church congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and W. Roundtree is like a, a black lawyer who, you know, suddenly the trial comes to mean so much more than... Um, yeah. And the other thing that I just like can't get over is that allegedly nobody knows that Mary Meyer is the ex-wife of a CIA guy or had anything to do with the president. There's sort of like a strict, no background information on the victim policy (laughs) for this whole thing. None of this is brought up at the trial. No. It's like completely off record. People had to know, though. There's no way that... They're like not even actually, a marriage. It seems like very obvious. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's it's. You'd think that the, maybe the judge would mm. know, um, but but yeah, it's it is it is interesting. Like this stuff, her background was really not discussed much at the trial, um, if at all. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on the trial by any means, but uh, it was really like it's sort of extraordinary how how much the trial and really a sign of the of the times kind of changing too. Um, mm-hmm. not specifically in DC, but just in the, in the, the country overall, um, is that this was able to, that they were able to, she was basically that, that Debbie round, she was essentially able to use what would have previously been disadvantages, uh, almost as an advantage in, in arguing the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. you know, it was, yeah, it was, I think a, a, at least half black, maybe majority black jury. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, but with a, you know, a white, a white judge, a white prosecutor. The prosecutor, I, I did, I was doing some reading about this uh, yesterday, apparently um, chewed gum really loudly during the whole case, which... <laughs> annoyed uh, people. Annoyed people. Understandably. Like, what? what <laughs> part of your brain thinks that is a good idea to do. Just like smacking gum in your mouth the whole time. Uh, especially if yeah. you're prosecuting somebody over the murder of a woman. Yeah, that's crazy. <sighs> Uh, he, he was really strange. There was another thing where, like, he was always threatening to bring in the bar- bloody bark of the tree nearby to show it to the jury, and that, like, everybody was like, what would that do? I don't know. That doesn't prove <laughs> anything. It's just a bloody tree bark slab. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. So uh, the trial finds Crump to be innocent, that there's not enough evidence to convict him, Again, they can't find the gun. They uh, they drag the canal and drain it. Still can't find the gun. It's a very expensive process. Um, 
And this is— And there's no residue on his hands, right? So he—I mean, that seems very difficult to then kind of connect. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's it's to, to be clear, he was found he was found not guilty. I mean, not exactly innocent, but he uh, right. they yeah there was there was very little like the evidence the evidence against him was like extremely circumstantial, and the the witnesses brought up by the prosecution were just like destroyed by Roundtree. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was really she was a really uh, good at kind of just like. Humi- not humiliating them, but you know how lawyers do, like sort of like uh, undercutting any um, any credibility that they would have had with it, with a couple of questions. Yeah, and Crump's story at this point also shifts to be: I was not at the uh, canal path fishing. I was down there with my girlfriend, who I don't want you all to find out about because my wife would be upset about that. And then Thanks. we were also drinking, and I was supposed to be at work. And, you know, you could sort of understand why this guy might lie to the police on first encountering them, perhaps. Well, my he, he had a, such a weird story because, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I was cheating on my wife with my girlfriend, which for those of you out there who cannot get laid, this is a <laughs> alcoholic, inanimate construction worker in the early <laughs> 1960s. What is your excuse? Uh, and then he gets wasted and and um, after exhausted from uh, passionate lovemaking, falls asleep and then falls into the river. Mm-hmm. And when in he, my head, mm-hmm. just like in a comical, like rolls down the... Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Kind of yeah. like, right. um, into the river. And when he, he, he wakes up, he's soaking wet and uh, the girlfriend is gone. Apparently there is a girlfriend, but she refuses to testify. I mean, fair enough. Which yeah. is also very weird. Um and he loses a bunch of items of clothing, allegedly, that then they recover and return to him in the jail cell. Uh, he says, you know, you've stacked the deck against me. So, I don't know. That's a lot of very complicated evidence, I think. Um, mm. but, but the other thing that we also have to keep in mind, which a lot of people who have written about this before point out, Ray Crump goes on to have an extremely violent life after this also, He's is burning down places of uh, people who are his rivals. He is abusing his wife. He is accused of sexual assault of a 17-year-old later, um, but he's never prosecuted for any of these things. Uh, it seems like he sort of falls off the uh, law enforcement map after the trial because he just never really comes back up. Well, unlike the trial, we should probably talk a little bit more specifically about Mary because wow, one. Wow, wow, wow. It's true. She's beautiful, but also very fascinating background for uh, this type. I mean, very emblematic of this type of Georgetown set like we've been talking about. Yeah, I think that she and her, it's good to emphasize how strange this social scene in Georgetown is. Um, There's like spray paint that happens after the Crump trial that says Meve Mary, and that means like bad shot or bad luck, which is just a very strange thing for that community, someone in that community to come down and like tag along with setting up like a small white cross for her. It's like, oh, bad luck. It's, it seems very strange. Yeah. It all seems kind of out of a Whit Stillman movie, I gotta say. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's very it's I that it to me that's coterie like of very, bohemian rich yeah. middle class bohemian. Like, if I ever get smoked assholes. like that, never write like. Well, actually, it's kind of a cool thing to write, I guess. But like, it is an asshole thing. Well, to there's write. A, a bit of shade for it to it. <laughs> yes, so yeah. it's very odd if your so-called friend was the victim of a kind of random murder, which it seemed like everyone kind of half believed. Um, and the whole thing is the the you know obviously that 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 phrase is written in French, but that attitude to me is very French too. Like this sort of like shrugging, like oh bad bad luck, Mary. Mm, you know what I mean? It's like better luck right, next time. Yeah, right. all right, asshole. You know yeah. what I mean? But I guess like people from the Georgetown set probably would have been very francophone to begin with, or francophilic to mm. begin with. And I don't mean I'm not talking about the ages of their mistresses. Uh, I just mean mm. the attitude. So <laughs> let's talk about Mary a little bit because she is is almost she's like a perfect example of of one of the Georgetown set because she was born a day after me so she was murdered a day before me born a day after me October fourteenth nineteen twenty in this very sort of like I guess Bohemian family yeah they're uh, the Pinchot family is a uh, very strange especially her dad who um, Amos Pinchot is, like, a key figure in the progressive party at, like, the turn of the century, and he, like, funds the socialist magazine The Masses. Um, But he's not a worker. He's, like, a land-owning dude. Um, Yeah. Mary grows up on, like, this estate called Gray Towers, and it's, like, 100 acres, and they've got their own waterfall, and it's a stone chateau, and Mary spends like uh, her like she becomes known or the family has like a very permissive view towards nudity. And so like Mary ends up writing awesome. back naked a lot, which is cool. Mm, yeah, I it's that it like a, I think that would <laughs> speaking of fishing tackle, I think that would permanently disable me naked. <laughs> That's something only a woman I, can do. Um, my freaking thing would be snapped. I ride laid back. I ride <laughs> chill like this. Like I have like a like you know what I'm talking about. Like I just hold the hair the, the hair of the horse oh a little God. bit loosely through my fingers. Um, mm. yeah, she had she. It's sort of this like very much like our East Coast royalty kind of people. You know, like raised on an estate. Uh, you know, these sort of like kind of intellectual but also wealthy landowning parents. I mean, she is she is definitely a daughter of this milieu. Yeah. Her mom, also very connected to media, uh, just like her husband will be. Um, her mother, Ruth, is a journalist for The Nation and The New Republic. Um, and, of course, Mary goes to Vassar, uh, which is sort of, you know, the progressive girls' school um, of the time in that, like, we think that ladies should also be good dinner companions as opposed to just like sort of uh, wax dolls that sit next to us at dinner while we talk about dude stuff. So uh, Mary is also a very talented writer. She uh, writes a lot of short stories that are sort of like Sylvia Plath-esque about Mm -hmm. not being able to feel anything anymore. She has an early journalism career and then like a social life in the Park Avenue cotillion dance scene where she meets her future husband, Cord Meyer. So yeah, we need to talk about Cord Meyer a little bit. First of all, Cord is such a like name that they uh, guys were named back then. 
You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like guys are always named shit like Core. That's like a guy in an F. Scott Fitzgerald book. Mm-hmm. He looks like that too. <laughs> and, well, and and I believe the uh, story of Mary intertwines with uh, one of one of F. Scott's. Uh, I think his sister or something. I don't know. Also another kind of weird looking mm. guy. Um, but Cordmeyer is such a, I mean, he is a fucking cliche in so I was just going to say ways. that. He hits like every <laughs> cliche thing from this time period where you're like, Yale, check. Scroll and key, check. Writer for Atlantic Monthly, check. United World Federalist, <laughs> check. Like, yes. it's like all of these just like, if you could, you got to look up a picture of this guy because he's got like a very uh, Roger Sterling sort of classic. Yeah. Silver-haired, you know, big, mm-hmm. big bulky glasses, you know, clearly, like, you know, had very strong opinions about what he would call the Japs. Yeah. You know, you know the vibe. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, so he, he loses, I think, uh, yeah, he loses an eye. Uh, I always thought it was from some kind of, I thought it was a grenade accident, but I guess from a Japanese grenade in World War II. Mm. Comes back and he's like, I'm a peace, peace, pacifist guy. And pacifism back then was like, there's nobody, I, I, there's like nobody who's a pacifist anymore. I mean, it's just not really, I right. think people might instinctually be or whatever, but like pacifism as like something that like people strongly, strongly, strongly yeah. believed in was actually like fairly common. Back then, sure. I mean, especially, especially after in, World in, War One, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. interwar period, especially. Uh, but you know, he comes back from World War Two as a pacifist. He's like, I'm not, I'm not fucking with war anymore. Well. <laughs> Well, the part of this too was that, like, you know, this was also the UN was starting, and there was this, like, there was this uh, among American, well, not just American, but among a lot of liberals, there was this idea that, like, the UN, which is so laughable now, is going to bring us into this, like, this, this, it's basically where it's a world federalism, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, which is slightly different than just the, like, one the UN. one world globalist order. They are literally one world mm-hmm. globalist. Yes. Yeah. Actually, legit a one world globalist. Uh, and he's like, oh, this is going to be so fucking, you know, so amazing. Then he goes to the UN, some UN conference, I believe in San Francisco, um, probably near UN Plaza, mm. where I once overdosed on heroin. But so the, uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, well, in the Castillo there in the bathroom. But uh, the, so, you know, he goes to San Francisco. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know if it's actually the one in San Francisco, but he goes to one of these UN conferences before World War II ends. And he's like, this actually sucks. Like, I don't know. Like, I have like kind of a negative view of that. I'm not, I don't really know if this is going to solve anything. Um, and, you know, he is like also at the time, and I relate to this a lot, um, like a sex symbol. Like, he's like a sexy young guy. Young Cord Myers, I'm actually going to Google it now um, because there's no way he was actually good looking because people thought, like, young Cord Meyer. He was all right. He was pretty good looking. I mean, look at it. Yeah. Uh, like, he actually, you know who he kind of looks like? He looks like a good looking Richard Hanania. Look at this. Mm. Um, that is crazy looking. But he got uh, he goes, you know, he's like he's supposed oh, to be Oh, he does. He, he really has the does. same grin of that avatar. Yeah, and the same kind of like weird eye brow ridge. Yeah. But uh he uh yeah. he he's like a peace guy, but he's like not really kind of like losing faith in it as World War II comes to a close and as those goddamn reds and those communists uh are taking over more and more territory. 
Yeah, he's, I mean, I think also he, uh, there's a lot of people who talk about how he smoked constantly and that like the smoke would curl up into his glass eye and he like wouldn't blink. And that was just very unnerving for Oof. people who worked around very him. strange, Levy. Yeah, very strange, Levy. Um, he, in the world, United World Federalist almost sounds like a weird, like made up thing, but like Ray said, he got really good at keeping communists out of that organization. And then Alan mm. Dulles was like, oh, you would be great for this new project I have. It's called the CIA. Um, and Cord is like the perfect CIA dude. He's It's almost like a Shakespearean thing of like, I love peace so much that I have to spend the rest of my life excusing the most like genocidal interventions in other countries and like, overthrowing the Guatemalan government and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, his his CIA resume, early CIA resume is, I mean, he was there for everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Cord was part of the, uh, pol- the Office of Policy Coordination, and he was in charge of, like, propaganda, economic warfare, preventative direct action, including sabotage and anti-sabotage and demolition, all of this stuff, arming guerrilla groups, uh, and all in favor of, you know, keeping communism out of South America, which it wasn't even an issue, really. Um, yeah, yeah. The OPC is is like what you think of when you think of the, the CIA in the Cold War. It's like that's the guys doing it. Like These aren't the guys just like staring at maps or whatever. It's like these are like, all right, we need to get, um, you know, as much whatever plastic explosives to whatever – uh, you know, uh, aspirational genocidaire in in you know Mozambique as as we can immediately. It's like these are these are the like these are the guys who are the like movers, giving, yeah, movers and shakers. Yeah, yeah, they're who are talking directly to like the United Fruit Company to mm. like about land reform. And this is also how Cord will meet James Jesus Angleton, obviously. Um, yeah, also an office that was in charge of, like, getting visas for Nazis. Um, pretty bad stuff in general. Uh, have you guys, you guys had heard of Mo- Operation Mockingbird before? Yes, which it, it's, Operation Mockingbird is so fascinating because, I mean, I they guess. Have a, they sent us a memo about the name change, though. Yeah, it, yeah, know. yeah. They did. I mean, we were closely with the, with the <laughs> well, what with, with that became. But no, Operation Mockingbird is is strange because it's it looms so large, and I think a lot of people's worldviews and, and the core of it is absolutely true. But like the actual details of it, it's, it's a it's a lot like MK Ultra in that respect. Like the actual details on it are sort of ones that you have to piece together from like information that we do know, like. Uh, right. Yeah, it's basically Operation Mockingbird was this like CIA plan, which they did do this mm-hmm. uh, to to like cultivate assets at, and and disseminate information um, in uh, and ideological lines and whatever else propaganda through foreign and domestic media outlets. And the CIA was excellent at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was this was something. Uh, obviously, the CIA's charter states that it's not supposed to operate within the United States. Duh, it does. I mean, that's just like who? That's like I don't think a lot of people don't even know that because it's like it's so it has. We just everybody knows that it does, and there's yeah. some instances of that happening. Um, but it was basically them 
really putting the uh, recognizing the power of media and then harnessing that to the best of their abilities and they, they were pretty good at that and a lot of it was done like you say like from what we know and what you can piece together is that you see most of these sort of activities as it shows up in like surveillance that you, yeah. there was like massive surveillance of almost every newsroom <laughs> yes, in the yeah. country like mm-hmm. broadcast and print um that there were yeah the cultivation of assets of course through like you know, people impersonating uh, sources or being becoming yeah, sources, yeah. cultivating other sources, like basically turning the like journalist profession into its own wilderness of mirrors. Yeah, kinda. yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 Washington was so rife with this stuff, especially. Yeah. I mean, there's so many weird questions about how the way the Watergate was covered or Watergate in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that like, you know, Bradley whether it was an official part of Operation Mockingbird or not, I don't think he would even need to be. He was just from this milieu to begin with. So I don't know what, what information... Or what, even know. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just so many kind of... There's layers to it, as we like to say. There, yeah, it's... Uh, ben Bradley is the one who's on the edge there because he vehemently denies being part of it and has this book called Catherine the Great about the mm-hmm. Washington Post editor... Um, pulped basically when it's first published and they had to redact a bunch of stuff. But <laughs> in any case, you could see how Cord Meyer as like an Atlantic writer in the in for, for the yeah. United World Federalists, easy uh, addition to the Mockingbird team. Um, so, you know, he's in the middle, I think Cord is best understood as somebody who is also always threatening to just go become a regular journalist and like quote unquote quit the agency. Yeah, um, and it, that's also very funny because um, later when Mary starts sleeping with JFK, that's like the information that JFK sort of throws in Cord's face of like, oh, I know that you want to go be a journalist, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because that we've sort of been circling around that. Let's talk about Marion and and Jack, as I always like to call Jack. him. So, I mean, yeah, Mary and Cord were married, mm. uh, but very Ooh. typical of the time, there was some cheating going on. Well, I imagine there's lots of like like lots of mar- everyone's like doused in martinis. And they're just, like, angrily, Mm -hmm. drunkenly fighting with each other and then making up and then saying, no, you go sleep with the neighbor or, you know, (laughs) um, like, yeah, it's just very, like, drunken and uh, very what we would now call polyamorous, but really with just, like, the neighborhood, but then everyone also surveilling each other at the same time. Unethical non-monogamy. I can't believe this hasn't been, like, the basis for a show. We should write this. Uh, well, just, just quit podcasting. But, like, write it. No, write it, but then never make it into anything. Just, just like, you, an it. exercise. You just sell it. It could we be a creative exercise. No, no, no. Just for us. Just to Hulu. Uh, but, so, <laughs> they, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. But they're, so they're they're married, but not just to each other. And, like, yeah, they're having sex during martini breaks. And, and especially, I mean, Cord is, Cord is a coxman. Like all these motherfuckers, and he's just in and out. Everyone's fucking each other's wives and all that kind of shit. I, I will say this: uh, I think the uh, one of the things that people like the, about George Smiley is he's the only intelligence agent who just isn't constantly cheating on his wife. It's in <laughs> fact quite the opposite. But uh, but he, uh, you know, they they have this weird relationship. They write in the margins of each other's diaries. That's so crazy. Which is yeah. So fucking crazy. Like commenting. I would. 
blow yeah. my motherfucking top if someone did that to me. Um, <laughs> but it's like they both enjoyed it. Yeah, there's something weird there's going on There's a weird, there. like, you know, every, I know, everyone's, like, hurting each other, but... They have kids together, uh, and there is one a nine-year-old boy named Michael who gets hit by a car, mm. um, which I was always like, what if there's something going on with that? You know what I mean? But right. <laughs> uh, gets hit by a car, and it's classic. After that, things were never the same. Uh, they, you know, it's 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 the the kid dies, and they 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 start fighting quite a lot. Yeah. This is uh, the divorce happens after Michael's death. Um, and this is kind of where another biographer of uh, the Mary Meyer story comes in, which is Peter Janney, who lived near the Pinchot Myers house and used to play with Michael. And um, in, you know, a lot of uh, people have, including Brace, fallen in love with Mary Pinchot Meyer. And Janney is also in this camp, but uh, starts his book about this. This book is called Mary's Mosaic. Um, he starts it off by talking about Mary in the context of like his sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote here. Should I go ahead and read that? I would say absolutely go ahead and read that. <laughs> so this is from Janney. Um Michael and I had been playing baseball in front of their house when Michael sent one of my pitches zooming off his bat and over the house. I ran around the back in search of the ball and came upon Mary reading on a blanket. She lay completely naked, her backside to the sun. I was breathless. She hadn't heard me coming, and I stood there for what seemed to me a very long time, gawking. At the time, I had no words for the vision that I beheld, and I knew that beauty such as hers was something I longed to know better. When Mary finally looked up and saw me, she wasn't embarrassed or upset or even startled. She just smiled, letting me know that it was okay. No sin had been committed. Damn. Very yeah. progressive. I will say my, my sexual awakening came from the mother in the movie Problem Child 2. <laughs> and I say that with hmm. absolutely no – I'm not joking. It really? Was, yes, yes. <laughs> at, yeah, at my friend Awar's house. We watched it when I was a kid. and it, How old were you? I don't know, eight, mm. nine or something. But I was like, oh, my God. She is – it was my first erection was was during that movie. Okay, that's too much information. <laughs> I was just, just telling you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, Janney's father is also in this milieu. I mean, he, he – Janney's father yeah. is a CIA agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Janney points to the idea that – his father knows about Mary's death before it's even been announced in the newspapers or on the news as like a very critical part of his uh, case. Janney comes out with saying, you know, this was a CIA operation as opposed to Nina Burley who says, this is a unfortunate murder that happened to a CIA wife. Um, yeah. So here's the fun stuff is that Cord and Mary get divorced and then, uh, Mary dates another, she's also a painter. I mean, she's very creatively talented um, and sort of gets to, like, become this cool 60s, like, independent lady after having uh, kids. She seems very (laughs) sensual, I have to say. No comment. (laughs) Um, She does. Yeah, she's, like, painting, naked. She's very, like, of the body. She seems to love, like... 
kind of like hedonistic, but also very like high-minded. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. Very aware, self-aware. It's, it's funny how all this like kind of like free love, not free love, but like this sort of like freedom stuff is really so concentrated on like the East Coast upper classes mm-hmm. during this period too. I mean, the West Coast had its own like whatever beat thing, but like this like this like Harvard Yale kind of mm-hmm. like uh, New England Northeast set has like their uh, this like this such a specific culture too where they like they all have to be like they're all wonderful artists and poets and yeah. like we're all writers and like I think Cord Meyer was a frustrated novelist and well it all seems also very yeah. like I be it seems very. Um, Influenced by psychoanalysis at the same time, yeah, which is oh, very yeah. much you know a focus on the the body. And you know, the pleasure you know and these that. guys are all on the couch too. Oh yeah, fucking, you know, absolutely. And, oh, yeah. and back of the back of the hand on the head, saying, "Hey, doc, I can't believe you." And can't you know who's them. listening to those tapes? Jesus, James, Jesus, <laughs> Angleton, also Jesus Christ. Yes, he's, he's kind of he's always listening. Listening. Hey, everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the she, great NSA agent in the sky. <laughs> she becomes like this, like this Georgetown painter, you know, like she, she, she takes up with this and I feel I, what little I know about this relationship makes me feel kind of bad for her, but she takes up this, uh, relationship with Kenneth Noland, uh, who is a, a, mm-hmm. a abstract painter, uh, who I believe actually never even really sees her work is just like kind of, you know, hanging around. Yeah, they are both in like the DC color school, I think is the movement that they're uh, part of. But yeah, I also get that feeling that he never saw her art as like valid. And yeah. I mean, Mary also becomes part of like what is later termed like a cell of women LSD gurus and uh, is able to like get joints into the White House and like has this little female network within the Georgetown area, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we need to talk about that a little. I think we, I think we should talk about the, the little drug stuff first and then maybe how she gets – the rumors that she, as as you so eloquently put it uh, in talking to us earlier, smoked doinks with uh, uh, JFK. Um, so I hate Timothy Leary. Yes. And We've made that clear on the podcast like – a billion times. Instead of breaking him yeah. out of prison, they should have actually <laughs> revolutionary should have built a worse yeah. prison Deeper. and put him in that one. Deeper prison. They should have taken him to Angola or where did they take him? Not Angola. They fucking they took him to uh, Algeria. They should have taken him to Algeria and shot him there. I hate Timothy <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he's a fucking liar and also he's a freak and I don't. I don't like what he was doing with all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't trust him, I don't too. Trust get him, him out of here. Don't get I don't him out like of here. what you're saying. And I don't like And you. I don't trust the, you know, reasons why you're saying it. I don't like some fucking psychedelic clown. What? So, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't tell, well, I don't know. Isn't that his whole thing? I'm not telling you what to do. But he is. He is. Drop in. Yeah, I don't way, want drop to. Drop out. Mm. I'm not doing it. I'm trying to drop in. Yeah. I'm trying to skate. So, <laughs> she she meets him in 62, right? Yeah, at the Harvard Psilocybin Project. And uh, Leary says, also, just like Janie, just like Brace, just like myself, falls in love with Mary upon first seeing her. And apparently they go right back to Leary's house to drop mushrooms together. Um, And she says, during this mid-trip, a guy that she just met, uh, Mary says, the guys who run things, I mean the guys who really run things in Washington, are very interested in psychology and drugs in particular, and they want to use drugs for warfare, for espionage, for brainwashing, for control. 
True. So true. This is Leary saying this, though, years later. Yes. Okay. This is well. a reported incident from Leary. All of the stuff, really, about LSD is just Leary saying there's yeah. zero yeah. evidence elsewhere. But she becomes so, part of this, like your little, you're saying, like a little clique of Georgetown uh, trippers, basically. Yeah. And. Leary reports that she asked him to teach her how to become an LSD guru and like wanted to, she said she wanted to turn on one of her very powerful uh, friends, her boyfriend. And then Leary, mm. uh, in a traditional liar guy way, remembers like two decades later, like, oh, maybe she was talking about JFK. Yeah, because that wouldn't be the first thing on his mind and like at the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we got to get to the we got to get to the famous incident here of her bringing some weed to the White House. Yeah, uh, JFK smoked on that loud uh, in the White House uh, with Mary. This is, like, confirmed. The JFK White House is very strange because a bunch of those little dorks who worked for him would spend the rest of their lives saying he was a perfect saint. I don't know what you're talking about. He never slept with anyone. But, like, JFK uh, said to in passing at one point, like, you know, I get a migraine headache if I don't get a strange piece of ass every day. Um, Strange. The White House was like it's fucking Jeffrey Epstein. I saying. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it most, of my, most yeah. of my most of my migraines have been because of strange pieces of ass. <laughs> Liz shook her head, but it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, so she, she she I mean JFK. Listen, everybody knows he and his brother, which I think is weird, almost certainly had sex with Marilyn Monroe. More than once. Uh, more than once. He loved blondes. He loved blondes. And brunettes. And brunettes. Me too. And redheads. Love them. And What's women the other with ones? black hair. Yes. Ra- raven head. Yeah. does. And I'm sure like mm-hmm. a strawberry he would be into. Maybe some women with shaved heads if yeah. he lived to the 90s. You know? <laughs> I'm Empire sure he'd like an ombre, women. which is really, you know, you can have lots of colors in that. Ombre is crazy. I still don't know what's going on with those. I, that that blew my mind when I was 18 <laughs> when I had a girlfriend with an ombre. Like, what are you doing? Which are, what are you? But he he was he was getting it all over the place, which we should maybe do an episode sometime. But just a lot of JFK stuff. But he had a lot. Of, there was a lot of these women there's in his life. Next year, maybe there's a there's always <laughs> yeah, next year. We should just do our episode Whoa. on JFK's women because sick of the guy himself. But he uh, he he the Marilyn Monroe thing is there's an interesting little Peter Lavenda. Uh, I think it's in some I can't remember something grimoire or whatever uh, about the circumstances around surrounding her death and well, Marilyn Monroe guys are like I mean that's a whole other that's uh, a whole other kind of guy. Well, it's just like that's a whole other mm. rabbit hole going that's, into yeah. the mysteries and this you know the the kind of chaos of Marilyn Monroe. But Mary brings in a little bit of that sticky icky good shit to the White House and is like. Jo- I bet it was bad. I bet it was so bad. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. Just like, there's no way. It was like, Jack, 
try this. And he he apparently <laughs> burns it down with her. Mm. And she's like trying to get him as they fucking do. Everyone's always smoke a little more, smoke a little more. But I lose the smoke contest. And she's like, smoke this. And he smokes it. And then she's trying to get him to smoke more. And he's like, but what if the Russians attack? Yeah, but, yeah, I love that. What, what is the Russians attack? <laughs> <laughs> we have to do it in the accent too. I can't do a Aww. Boston accent. Can you do it, Devin? No, I've I've been thinking about it all week, and I I just can't. But 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 what if the fuck? I can't do it. A Boston accent or whatever. It's, it's like not even best Boston. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what if the Russians ah. attack? That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't, why? Well, I, I get a migraine but if I don't like get a strange piece fact, of ass every it's day. Like after the fact, it's like, well, if they attack, like, you're high as shit, You're dude. high as shit, just delegate, bro. Yeah. That's what being a leader right. is. Pass that football. And there's, she's also <laughs> like, well, if you don't, I, I think, is it she that offers him cocaine or does he offer her cocaine? I've read that he offers her cocaine. Like, I will get you some coke in exchange for these drugs. Um, yeah. I will Which, say this. Weed probably sucked back then, but Coke likely ruled back then. Yeah. It was probably so good. Um, my God. Can Especially you the presidents. Because that's before they even had laxatives. Who knows where he's even getting the it? President's weed? Or co- excuse me, cocaine? Yeah. The dentist, he's, probably. He's getting it fresh from the source. <laughs> but they, so they. <laughs> And they're also, weed also is kind of back then, I feel like, known as an aphrodisiac. Like, there's an air of, like, sexuality around weed. Like, yeah. you smoke a little tea and then have your, like, bohemian lovemaking session. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of the air that it's, like, presented in. Um, and, and, and it's, I, I don't, when did their affair actually start, Devin? Uh, let's see. I do know... Uh, 58 is when they get divorced, and I think they start the affair in 1961. But you're gotcha. right. I remember Norman Mailer also having mm. a deranged quote about, like, have you ever had sex on weed? It's amazing. It's, it's crazy that all these people are so, like, bohemian and central, but it's like your ass is in, like, a woolly turtleneck and tweed all day. That like, that's crazy. That was that's like, you think you'd, like, loosen up a little bit, but you're quite restricted in those thick fabrics. So imagine smoking weed wearing like an eight-pound turtleneck like sweater like those guys. How itchy you would feel? No problem. Yeah. It's No, Oof. you'd feel horrible. In swampy D.C.? Uh, just, yeah, it's like July. <laughs> and you're, just, you're wearing the thickest sweater and a sweater vest underneath that. Yeah. Oh, so itchy. I guess they're all chasing terrible. it with like terrible whiskey too. But she is so – there's like a bunch of – basically like they've been able to figure out that they – we're having this affair, A, because people talked about it, but B, because she's on, like, White House logs. And she's not on, like, I mean, yeah. she was often also a guest of people, so, like, they don't even know how many times she was there, but she was there. She was, like, always around, like, so much so that people would comment, like, she's a fixture. Yeah. Like, she was just always there. Right. <laughs> which is kind of, you don't, that's another thing, you really don't hear much about these days. People, just, like, random people being around the White House. They you don't kinda, really I let like you Trump do that. Trump had some of those. That's true. But they weren't girls. <laughs> no, they were just like old men. Yeah, just like weird <laughs> drunk old. It's like, like Rudy we, Giuliani and the was Pillow Man, like the Pillow Guy and Rudy. It's <laughs> yeah, like, we've come a lot. We've we've talk just, about like pockmarked, sweaty, bloated alcoholics. So someone left blow there last year. That's this year. This year. Yeah. and they were like, we don't know That's how true. that got in. And it's have you seen from a like a tourist group? They Devin, said I think. Have you seen how little coke it is too? It's like twenty dollars. <laughs> no. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he she's definitely she's, Hunter. 
she's there when Marilyn Monroe dies. She's like she's at the White House, yeah. right? Consoling him, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the story. Is uh, that she's also there during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the counterculture will pick that up and sort of run with it and say. Mary Meyer is like this LSD guru for Kennedy. He's she's uh, bringing him back from the brink of like this Cold War death drive. Um, mm. She really does become like a the anima and like the Jungian sense. I love which is that. An obnoxious for her. thing to say, but it's true. I don't know if that's true, but I love that for her, and I think that we should believe that for fun sometimes. I think it's a fun thing to believe. So, again, allegedly, after the affair ends with uh, Philip Graham uh, out in Arizona with his girlfriend, hammered drunk in a bunch of in front of a bunch of journalists, and he just starts running his mouth about Mary Meyer and JFK, and allegedly that's when they uh, decide to dial it down. But as you're saying, Mary Meyer is still like a fixture in the White House all the way up until the assassination. Is there anything we know about what Mary thought of the assassination? The only thing is, of course, from Timothy Leary, who was alleged to have called, uh, I can't remember if he called her or she called him, but she allegedly said he was getting too far out of their control, right? Mm. Um, We do know, though, that, like, she was definitely passing information about Cord Meyer to Kennedy, and Cord mm. and Kennedy hated each other. And mm. like Cord went on a big long screed in his diary that he knew his wife read uh, about like this guy is never going to put me in the White House, and like he's never going to give me a job, and I'm going to have to wait until the next administration. That makes me so mad. So um, mad, I might kill. Very I weird. might murder. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do uh, know we do know that she had purchased a copy of the Warren Commission report uh right. shortly after it came out. Very shortly after because she was killed pretty soon after that too. Uh and that she read it with great interest. And the Warren Commission report is very fucking long. Uh and Yes, big boy. You know, and I, you know, on one hand, like, you know, if we're taking the very non-conspiratorial view, you know, if, if if somebody that I dated was assassinated, and then they wrote like uh, congressional report, congressional report, like, yeah. yeah, thousands of words about it. I'm like, I'd probably pick that up. Sure, I don't know, I'd read it, yeah. but I'd pick it up. Uh, but she apparently read it with great, great interest, and this is uh, notable because so many people that she knew very well, including the man who recruited her ex-husband to the CIA, were involved in the whitewash that uh, this report contained. Yeah, you guys were talking about last uh, in the JFK series just about how the Warren Commission report needed to toe a very specific line about, yeah. you know, avoiding nuclear war uh, and that Angleton is one of the main tamperers with that document. Um, and so later the lore goes that Mary Meyer, who has lots of connections to journalists and big uh platforms was threatening to go public with both her affair and her objecting to the Warren Commission and that's why she had to get got. 
So, yes, that's something that needs to be kind of nailed down here is that, like, the affair, which we've been talking about a bunch here, is not publicly known at this point, like, at, at all. Right. Like, people don't know that, like, this is not common knowledge. People don't know this. It's not been publicized at all. Yeah, and people don't even know the extent of what the CIA is doing until uh, Watergate, basically. And yeah. Also sort of coincides mid-'70s with the first reports about the affair. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there is uh, a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of different opinions about what could possibly happen, what could have happened on the towpath. Um, I'm not... I don't really know, just as a maybe closing uh, set of questions, like, I don't really know what happened. I think Ray Crump easily could have done it. Peter Janney's uh, version of what he says happens is like that it involves like a team of 10 people. Basically mm-hmm. every character on the towpath has to be involved in like the hit squad yeah. for this, for his sort of idea to come up. Um, yeah. It's a little hard to wrap your head around. And then Janney also gets really fixated on William Mitchell, who is like the jogger on the towpath. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a, there's like a jogger that passes by at one point who I believe says he works for the Department of Defense, and right. Uh, Janney is convinced that he actually because his, I mean, I guess fair enough. Like his 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 records don't match up, and like you know, it, basically he's pointing like, oh, this means he works for the CIA, uh, as right. as possibly like an operational agent rather than like you know a bureaucrat or whatever. Um, but he basically points to that as like, this guy must have been the one who actually shot her because he was part of this like hit team who did this professional hit on Mary. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you were bringing up the wilderness of mirrors earlier and, and you said, um, Devin, you said at the beginning of this, that if this whole incident and story feels like it was designed to like kind of make you go insane because every point you turn, there's like another character with another connection that maybe could be, but maybe couldn't be, but is also somehow right. kind of collaged together in this weird mosaic that you, if you kind of like squint and you like draw some some you know strings together, could make out one story or it could make out another story. And at the same time, all of these people are kind of in a milieu that is like mm-hmm. incredibly. Um, important and influential and also very, I don't know, a little like raucous. And so it's all this stuff <laughs> that feels, it's all very slippery. Um, and then you got fucking Timothy yeah. Leary in there. Like, I'm curious, like, before we wrap up, I'm curious, like, what even brought you into this story? Like, what's your, what's the story of you getting into it? Oh, yeah. Um, it is, I, like I mentioned, I'm not a huge JFK head, but, uh, I was looking into uh, the this era of the CIA because I'm working on like a nonfiction book about the Veiled Prophet, and mm-hmm. uh, I need to know a little bit more about like early to middle CIA history. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one comes up also with one of my favorite St. Louis paranoids, uh, Ken Thomas, who ran the mm-hmm. Steam Shovel Press for a long time. And uh, Ken was another guy who was, like, very interested in Mary as, like, this goddess and that the secrets of the aliens are in the diary, that kind of stuff, which I love those stories. I even love a story like this that is, like, 
a little too hard to figure out. Mm. But as I tried to do in the essay, like I'm not necessarily trying to convince anybody of any one narrative, but that you can still learn things about history and politics through Ray Crump's story, even if he is the murderer in the end that just gets implicated in this gigantic web. Like it's still, uh, it's an interesting little paranoid map to make. You know I, mean? I think that there's there's something that's very like attractive about this story too. In that, like, uh, that I think attracts a lot of people to it is is the the love affair and the sort of doomed lovers aspect of her and JFK, right? Like both dying within a year of each other and both getting shot. Uh, and you know, mm-hmm. one getting shot as president. Well, JFK wasn't the first president to get shot, certainly, but like you know, it's a little more in that line of work than it is like in her line of work, which is beautiful painter. Um, and <laughs> you know, just this sort of like, you know, I know that there was a, there was a, a letter, uh, that JFK purportedly wrote to her, but never sent like a sort of steamy love letter, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is, I, and, you know, implore you to, to look up if you're into, ste- it's not steamy. It's not like I, I missed your mucus or well, You got to do it in the accent. I can. Do you want me to read the letter? I have the letter. <laughs> no, okay. um, but uh, but it is. Uh, it's you know. It's just this sort of like romantic thing. And there's there is a great deal of like, I guess mystery to all this because yeah. like even if Crump shot her, why? You know, like it's right. it's it's obviously like he there was he he was violent towards women uh, mostly after this like you know he spent a year in jail and mostly after that year in jail he was he's definitely capable of violence towards women but like that isn't a a there's a lot of wife beaters in this world and not all of them just shoot a lady randomly on a yeah path. who didn't have a purse on or right. anything pre- exactly yeah <laughs> um and right. and it's it's just like. You know, there's no gun. It's just it's so strange because there isn't really a pat explanation. There's an explanation you can come up with, you know, with a lot of it's it's almost similar to the to the Crump case. Like there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but like what is it? I mean, with, and there's just that MacGuffin of the diary. We don't know what's in that fucking diary. Mm. And we never. Yeah. Will. We shouldn't either because I think it should be illegal to read people's diaries. Mm. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Devin, the piece is, I, you know, I said it at the beginning, but I'll say it at the end too. The piece is fantastic. We're going to link to it. I implore all of our listeners, like, go read it and get get into it and get kind of freaky with it because it's it's a fun read. Yeah, I, I, I as always, love having you on, Devin. And, and, and <laughs> frankly, I always like it when you write a little thing because I like to read them and then sometimes you come on afterwards. Yeah, it's always great. Um, but Absolutely. you can't, you can't see him, but Devin is very clearly in a coat closet right now. Uh, and I appreciate mm-hmm. you taking this time to sit in a small confined room and speak to us. About this. <laughs> I'm always in the closet thinking about lots of paranoid stuff. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, au revoir. Au revoir. Did I tell you I bought a clown collar? No. 
Um, but tell me. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Uh, this is, we're using this for the outro. It's Spanish. It's a Spanish clown. What are you doing? <laughs> what is in your life demands this? Um, this is for around the home? You should see the size of the turtleneck Liz has on right now. Yeah. Don't make fun. I'm not making fun. It's very warm. <laughs> it's huge. It's, you, it's, does it's, it look too big? No. It's, it's, so, it's, it's Scandinavian. Big, I, don't know. I feel like it's fashionable to wear clothes oh, no, that are too big. It won't let me. Women always do this. They'll wear a giant suit jacket. You notice that? Yeah. Is that? What? I wear that all the time. I know, but I see this is like but a I've fashion been wearing that woman. for a while. I know, but I'm saying like a thing that seems to be like an eternal fashion woman thing mm-hmm. is just to wear a big suit jacket. Yeah. yeah. Big old suit jacket. Um, But that's because I've always like, my style's always been sort of like. Big suit jacket. Um, I don't know. What is that? What's the big suit jacket? What's the style name? I don't know what you would call it. I guess it's sort of a little 80s coded, but it's kind of like a classic silhouette. Gotcha. It does lean a little, um, little. Look, this is my clown collar. Oh, this is different than I thought. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Isn't that I, I cute? was definitely expecting something else. <laughs> This is this is cute. It's yeah, nice, right? Cute. But you could yeah. see me wearing it. I could see you wearing that. Yeah. yeah. But that's all right. I thought I you do were, love a like elegant clown. I pictured something in white with red polka dots on it. They might make no, they don't make that version. But do you think I should get ruffles? I don't you know, I do think and I have thought this for a while, and I'm gonna say it, especially because you have a bit of a rumpled Ness to you right now? <laughs> what? Oh, because of the yeah, my hair. So I wash my hair. Makes oh, me no, always it? look fucked up. Yeah. Um, which is that I do think that you could pull off a silk ruffled shirt. What's it? What, <laughs> dude? No. Anytime a woman's ever told me I could pull off something, and then I've gotten that thing, okay. it's been the thing I've least been able to pull off in history. You have no idea. But the I amount just of like clothes that it. throughout my life. That have some some female has commanded that I purchase because oh, this is good on you. Actually, it's never let you. On I me. would never actually it's, let you go out in the world with that. But I just would like to see you wear it for me. Okay, I'll wear it for you. <laughs> I'll wear it nice. for you I'll, if you buy it. Two thousand uh. dollars on Susense or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> fucking some some like Celine s- fucking s- ass sale. pirate shirt. Yeah, sale yeah. Right now. What's that? Essence sale right now. Everything is Essence is always having a sale. That's the only thing they do is put everything on sale. Essence. Yeah. That's what that's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's yeah, it's essence. Okay, like a the ju- essence. Not I know. joking. I'm gonna tell you right now. Essence. I don't remember when essence like came out. Maybe like ten years ago. Yes. It took me like a while, and essence. I worked in fashion right, to get that one. Go. I gotta tell you, as always, head to toe normal clothes, and no undies. Let's wrap this up. Yeah, I gotta go get my clown collar. I meant my crotch, but the episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fun. My name is Liz. My name is Brace. We are, of course, as always, joined by producer Young Chomsky. And the podcast is called True and On. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>